Well, welcome to our Sailorville podcast, and uh, today I have, uh, we have guest, uh, Lindsay Holen, who is the Director of Women here at uh, Sailorville Church. Glad to have you here. And, and Trevor, who's really, for all intents and purposes, sort of on top of our men's ministry, and really looking forward to hearing from the two of you along the lines of our subject matter today. I mean, when I think of Trevor Mears, uh, if you, uh, he's the only guy in the 23 years that I've led this church as lead pastor that has preached on a Sunday morning as a layperson in our church. Mm -hmm. And uh, that just speaks volumes to how much we appreciate you, Trevor. And I would pay for your voice. I just want you to know that if I had, I mean, I, I mean, it's not like I got a squirrely voice, but you got one of those. You're, you're going to grow into it. I think it's coming. Is just it coming? Just be patient. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's yeah. that's hopeful anyway. And yeah. then there's Lindsay over here. What can I say about you? She's very dear sister. Were you going to say something? No. <laughs> I'm just waiting to see what you say. <laughs> well, we praise the Lord for you, for your ministry, your passion for women, uh, educating them. And then, of course, the special ministry you have uh, alongside of that, which we talked about in one of our a former podcast uh, with uh, women in the post-abortive ministry. And I think you're going to probably touch on that a little bit of mine, if I'm not incorrect in accordance yeah. with the subject. Yeah, so that'd sure. be good. So uh, uh, whether or not you heard the sermon on uh, Sunday, we've been doing a sermon series, Your Questions, God's Answers. And, um, and that has been, it's been greatly received uh, throughout the summer, the various topics. It's kind of a hard topic to do every week. You know, people say this must be fun to do things different during the summer. To be honest, it's harder because every single sermon is 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 encased in itself. There's no continuity to the sermon that was preached the week before. You know, when I'm we're preaching through Ephesians, which we'll be doing in the fall, uh, we, you know, we can bridge off the text from before, the background is there and all of that. It's very helpful to the next message. So in essence, we're pulling new books off the shelf all the time, looking into new materials and resources. And uh, so it's more labor, but it's, it's been very rewarding, just the same. Um, so I've asked the two of you to join us today. The sermon on Sunday was, uh, was titled, uh, uh, God's Sovereignty, My Responsibility. So those two, those two things, we've, we, we used the, the phrase juxtaposed or juxtaposition side by side with one another. Sovereignty is a, is a great, the sovereignty of God is a great word. It's a great uh, biblical concept. The Bible speaks of sovereignty. We've, I, I give it a super short definition, just basically saying this is God's rule over all things. Um, so let's, uh, to both of you, uh, what comes to your mind? Let's start with you, Trevor. What comes to your mind uh, when you think of God as sovereign? I think it's a, it's a mix, right? Because at the same time, in one part, we chafe at it. At one part, we want to say, I'm in charge of my own destiny. But on the other side, it's comforting to think, well, I know in my heart, I don't have all the answers. So it is comforting to also know somebody out there has got my back hmm. on all things. And I think uh, one of my favorite is it is it, a, is it more chafing or is it more comforting to you personally? Depends on what point of life you would ask me that question. The older I get, the more comforting it is. Okay, uh, because it's just for me, it's been this growing maturing process of realizing you don't know everything. Hmm. And you know, one of your questions initially was, uh, how do you think men in particular look at a question like sovereignty? Well, I think one of the hardest things for a man to say, we all know this, is I don't know. 
Hmm. We always want to have the right answer and we always want to be viewed as competent. So as I've gotten older and realized this uh, growing sphere of things I don't know, it becomes more and more comforting all the time to realize, well, there is somebody out there who has this figured out. And that's not me. But uh, for me, especially younger, um, I think it was more, hey, I I think I've got life pretty well dialed. And then the older you get, you realize you don't. And I think that also, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's a, a person who becomes a Christian and then matures. The Spirit continually is showing them that, you know, there's there's more comfort in that than uh, rebellion as we grow. You know, it's interesting you should say that. I mean, we'll, we might come back to this, but as you talked about God's sovereignty being both comforting and, you know, sort of convicting and you might chafe at it, but... For me, I have to tell you, even as a young pastor, and I have always been evangelistic, God's given this desire for me to reach people, and I've had the joy of seeing lots of people come to know Jesus over the years. But even when I was really, really young, the whole idea that God was in control, that those who would ever be saved have been picked from eternity past, was actually a comfort. It was actually a driving mechanism for me. I always kind of thought, wow, Lord, they're out there. I just need to go find them. Uh, I mean, it's not like, I mean, what, it's not like, uh, they're out there with, you know, big E's for e- election stamped <laughs> on their foreheads or something, you know, but, uh, uh, but it's, but it's, it's a comfort to me. It always was and continues to this day to be, uh, plus it, it's good for me to know that all of my efforts don't actually save anybody. Yeah. Uh, and yet in the mystery of all the Lord Jesus. So I'm jumping ahead in the game, but. All right, I was just like, that is tremendously comforting. I mean, um, the the version of evangelism that I grew up was very much this, almost like a used car salesman closing pitch sort of mm. training. And that puts that pressure on you, that if I don't say this the right way, this person's going to wind up in hell because yeah. I didn't close the deal. Yeah. And as you begin to understand sovereignty, it's like, no, they will, they will get saved despite my fumbling ways. And I want to be as effective and caring as possible, but I don't have to worry, just like you said, that the pressure is not on me. God will do this, and if he can use me as an imperfect tool to accomplish it, all the better. But if it's not me, he will send someone to get that message yeah. to them. And just uh, an apology to our listening audience uh, and to all those of you that are used car salesmen. We we mean <laughs> you no uh, harm with your very noble profession that you have, okay? That's right. Uh, it is a different <laughs> discipline than witnessing. <laughs> uh Okay, uh, over to you, Lindsay. When you think of God as sovereign, I, we had this pre-podcast uh, conversation going, and you said it's one of your favorite subjects. So what yeah. comes to your mind when you think of God as sovereign? Uh, what comes to my mind is what makes God God and makes us not. Makes him creator, us the created. And um, it's it's comforting to me, and I think it's been comforting, well... It's been comforting to me over the last 10 years because I grew up um, pretty much Arminian. That word was never used, but free will, you know, all the way. And so when it was introduced to me about 10 years ago, when I was about 30, my mind was just blown and um, I started looking into it. And when I started seeing how much the Bible speaks of God's sovereignty in so many different aspects... um, I, it wasn't like this this chafing, but at that point in my life, I had 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 a lot of stuff happen and and shape my life where I started asking that question of why, why if God is sovereign, why would He allow it? And so, 
it's been comforting to me, but I just think of how it's, I think of his sovereignty as attributes that he alone possesses that, that myself, that man tries to possess, but it's crushed under the, the pressure of trying to be like God. Give an example of one of those uh, characteristics of God, because because remember, I put that Psalm 50 up, that little line from Psalm 50, I think verse 21, mm-hmm. where God says, you thought I was just like you. Yep. Um, this right here, I think, makes us think we're like God mm-hmm. a lot. We've got um, Facebook. I can, I can be omnipresent. I can be across the world with my friends and family and missionaries that are in other countries. I can be everywhere at once as well as here. I think of. I can um, fact check everything. I that's can being Google said. everything. I've got this omniscience where yeah. I, I everything is at the at my fingertips. I can know everything. That makes me feel powerful. Mm. Makes me have this false sense of control. Mm. That when things don't go my way, I that's when it, it we start. I think that's what brings anxiety, especially to women. This this desire for control. That's what keeps me up at night. Is that. I'm not God, and I can't, I, I can't live under that pressure of that. That's good, because we do talk about, so again, talking about juxtaposition, we were created in the image of God. So we have this, mm-hmm. we, we have this intellect, this emotion, though we have will, these that make us like God. I mean, God did say in Genesis 1, did he not? Let's, let's make man... And you know, in accordance with our own image, so there is the image aspect, and um, but it's a little bit like uh, remember the illustration I gave during the series uh, that we uh, preached on uh, with the LGBTQ thing. I remember I talked about the little the little girl that walked out while her dad was changing the oil. Does anybody remember that? And and she looked down, the sun had hit the oil, and it was just kind of rainbow. Yeah, like it wasn't a perfect rainbow. It was all splotchy, and she goes. Oh, Dad! Somebody broke the rainbow. You know, mm. that's us. We're broken rainbows. We're we're not we're not perfect. Uh, uh, and yet we have James. Even James two nine says that we are. Or James three nine says we are still in the image of God. But that doesn't make us God, does it, Trevor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I always think about how the the sin that we've been committing since humans were created is to try to get to the same spot as God. That was the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why Lucifer fell. He wanted to get equal with God. Then in the garden, he comes to Adam and Eve. He says, you can be just like him. And they bought into it. Then you get the Tower of Babel. They tried to build themselves up to be equal with God. And that's, I look at our our age we live in where we're just constantly smitten with our own knowledge and our own discoveries and all the things we've done. And the idea, I think, of our culture is like we're post-God at this point because we have risen so high in our knowledge and people have thought that throughout history. And if humanity lasts centuries longer, we're going to look back at how little we knew today. Yeah. But we always think we're just that close. Yeah. And so it's a constant temptation. Again, as you're talking, Scripture's coming to my mind like Daniel 12, where Daniel says that in one of the prophecies of the future, of the, of the latter times, times in which we live for sure, is that knowledge will be greatly increased. This goes along with what you said when you held up your 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 uh, your cell phone you know and in this whole business of thinking we've got we've got it all figured out but one of the reasons I wanted the two of you to come to this because both of you are you know are you're working with women you're working with men and they have particular issues when it comes to sovereignty and responsibility 
And uh, so, Lindsay, I have a, a question I have for you is uh, uh, you work with women who, uh, like yourself from, the, from a former podcast, have made, you know, horrific choices uh, in their past. Uh, how, how does the, this concept of God as sovereign, yet we're responsible, how does this, how do you help women with that? Um, well, I think you, I think you just have to start by being acquainted with his character, with his, with his attributes. You, you always say when you can't see his hand, you can trust his heart. And so I think that the more that we have an intimate relationship with him and, and get to know him, um, you know, Jen Wilkins says you can't love what you your heart can't level what your mind doesn't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so we don't just pursue him with the head knowledge, but we're pursuing his heart. And I think that when women understand who he is um, and have some of these, these lies exposed about he's just waiting to punish you, he's looking down on you with, you know, there's, you're not finding favor in his eyes. I think when you pursue... Um, his heart and understanding those attributes of him, you can start peeling the onion, all the layers of lies away of um, just, there's just a lot of, there's just a lot of lies. There's, and there's, again, it goes back to this like need for control. Women just have this, this struggle for control we have since the garden. And so I think when you, when you start to understand his heart, his attributes, you start to understand his purpose hmm. in all of these things that he allows. Um, I think of how it was, it was the sovereignty of God that brought Jesus comfort in knowing that his purpose, God's purpose for him and his purpose of being on earth would be accomplished and when I think about my own life and what God allowed, um, even though I held that responsibility for walking through those decisions and making those decisions, um, he allowed that I can find comfort in knowing that his purpose is ultimately going to be, um, it's going to come to fruition in eternity. That brings me a lot of comfort. That keeps me from asking him, why would you had the power to stop me and you didn't. Why? Hmm. And that's one of those things I'll, I won't know until glory, the, the full, the full picture. But, um, that is something that, that I do walk through with women asking that hard question of he, he allowed this to happen in your life. So why do you think, why do you think he, he allowed it? So I love making things as, simple as we possibly can um, when it comes to uh, our somebody our own sanctification and our growth and you're saying the answer to so much of this is your knowledge or lack thereof of God and I would agree with you I mean Paul told Timothy in the second epistle in the third chapter that there would be men ever learning but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth that's our generation, isn't it, Trevor? Ever learning, and yet 
it's like, but let's not go to the, let's not, I mean, the God thing, that's, that's a different kind of learning, I guess. Let's learn here. How would you respond to that? Yeah, I think when, I think we all have an innate desire to believe there's some sort of plan behind what's going on. And if you decide that's not God, if you reject the idea that there's a sovereign God, well, then you're going to go seek other things. And this leads people into things like astrology mm-hmm. and conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. because I, I got to believe there's a reason for what's happening. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people tell you they believe that the universe is random, but I think most people believe there's got to be something back there behind yeah. the curtain. And God has already told us it's me and he's revealed himself to us clearly. But if we reject that, we're left just grasping in the darkness. And that leaves us chasing, um, you know, the, the, the theory of the day, the political agenda of the day. And it's always going to be empty that you just can't get there. So Jeremiah says, uh, don't let, let, let the wise man not uh, not boast in his wisdom or let don't let the mighty man glory in his might let not the rich man glory in his riches but let the one who glories or boast boast in this that he that he understands me and and he knows me that I'm the Lord and I think that comes back to what you're saying Lindsay that the more we get to know God and his characteristics all of them not just his love but his holiness not just uh not just the fact that he's directing steps but he's sovereign over everything I mean these are ways these do eventually bring comfort in the most difficult situations and kind of get us past some of our own boneheaded decisions we've made along the way. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. Um, I was thinking of uh, some of the stuff that landed on the floor. I was telling you guys again in the pre-podcast vibe, I showed you the, I mean, just the volume of stuff that just didn't make the message because, you know, we get 30, 33 (laughs) minutes and we're done, you know. Uh, But I wonder how many of us have read... um, those famous stories like of Samson of, you know, of, uh, uh, and so here is, uh, here is Samson and Delilah and you know, the story there and you know, Samson, the strong man. And, and, uh, it, and I was, I just read this a couple of weeks ago and it really grabbed me along these lines. So here is Samson right out, right out of the shoot. He sees a pagan woman and he wants her. Remember that? And you remember his parents say, Hey, you know, you know, wouldn't a little Jewish girl do better than this, you know? And, and no, go get her for me. And, uh, and, then, and I wrote this down. I mean, I put this down. It's in Judges 4, 14. It says, his mother and father did not know that it was from the Lord, for the Lord was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. <laughs> uh, I don't know about you, but I read some of that. Some like, well, let's just keep on going. I mean, wait a minute. He made this terrible decision. He made the decision. He even, remember, the parents even make an appeal, kind of a righteous appeal to him. No, he just fights against it, gets his way. And then you have this little, you 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 made the comment, Trevor, you know, pulling back the curtain. I mean, every once in a while, the Bible does that, doesn't it? Pull back that curtain. Mm -hmm. And who's at the controls? The Lord is. And he's looking for an occasion against the Philistines. I just uh, heard a Bible teacher the other day talking about the book of Esther. Uh, And you won't find God's name in the book of Esther. But this teacher said, you won't find God's name in the book, but you see his hands all over the events. Because if you read that book, it's just incredible plot twists where God is working things to save the people. And, um, you know, God, he allows things to happen that don't please him in order to achieve the long-term goal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what is his son dying but that? I mean, that's the gospel. He 
he knew this had to happen in order to achieve his long-term goal of reconciling ourselves to him. And, you know, one of the things on Samson, I, I thought of when I was reading Judges recently, again, at the end of Samson's life, we always think about how could Samson be so stupid? <laughs> the, I mean, on multiple occasions, yeah. right? Um, that all along he's been told, your hair is the strength. If you cut your hair, you'll lose your strength. Well, he goes through all these things with, you know, well, tie the ropes around me and I'll break them. Well, then at the end, he finally goes ahead and he tells Delilah, if you cut my hair, I'll lose my strength. Why was he so stupid? Well, this time when I read that, it struck me as, well, maybe the reason he did that is because he was kind of like, I'm not so sure God is my strength. I think I might actually be the source of my mm. strength. Mm. I'm going to test my theory. I'm mm. going to go ahead and say, cut my hair and see what happens. So I don't know if it was stupidity that he didn't know what would happen as much as he got arrogant about who's really in charge. And mm. You know, I won't go to the mat necessarily on that interpretation, but I think it's plausible. It is plausible, and I've never thought about that, but that is very, very possible, especially when you look at the, what led up to that. He just keeps teasing it mm -hmm. and teasing it, no pun intended. Yeah, he was inching there. closer and closer <laughs> to basically how far can I go to see if it's really me or if it's really God doing this. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. What would you add to that, Lindsay? No, I'm just thinking how how much does that characterize has that characterized my life and how much am I tempted? We don't, so we don't consciously think these things, but yeah, I don't know. That's, that was really good. Yeah. Even your mention of Esther made my, I was just having a Bible study, an evangelistic Bible study just last night with a couple, a real dear couple. Uh, she came to Christ. He hasn't come to Christ as of yet, but uh, we were talking about, we start our, we don't assume anything. We're starting with the framework of what is the Bible? Why do we believe the Bible? Why, what makes it such a special book and this and that. And, uh, so we were going through that and I was thinking about, you mentioned Esther and you mentioned the fact that God's name doesn't appear in Esther. That's a true statement. It doesn't. Um, and yet his hand is all over, very evident, right? But you talk about the sovereignty and responsibility here. As you were saying, this just came to my mind. So I didn't know this until I went to Israel, but uh, I was down at the I was down at uh, Qumran where the Dead Sea Scrolls were produced. You know, somewhere between two hundred, between one hundred and fifty and two hundred fifty BC. And uh, it, as the story has it, the Essenes, this these scribes were, you know, they lived in this community. They've got the art. They've got this archaeological site all cut out and everything. And you can see the caves in the distance. Uh, so the story is that uh, uh, the Romans were coming, the Romans were coming, okay? And so out of fear that the Romans would destroy them, kill them, burn everything down, and Jews uh, then, as now, cannot fathom the, the idea of the name of God being destroyed in any way. So what they did was they took all of these scrolls of 38 out of 39 books in the Bible and they put them into they put them into vases vase vases however whatever you want you know tomato tomato whatever and uh, and they put them in in 14 different caves just just down in the gully and up again and that's where they hid them so that when the Romans arrived they would not destroy the name of God but they put 38 out of 39 books. The only book they didn't put in the cave, you know it was, it was Esther, because Esther didn't have the name of God. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. That's the only book not found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And yet, in the sovereignty of God, 
Why did that happen? So that God, anticipating what the naysayers would say over a thousand years later, well, you know, the Bible, I mean, it's been interpreted 150 different times into different languages. There's no way we have what was originally said because the earliest manuscripts of the Old Testament we had in up to 1947 was 900 AD. So in one fell swoop, this discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947, when this little shepherd boy throws a rock into a cave and it break and he hears glass breaking, that's how the whole thing is discovered and all in all these caves. The whole thing closes the gap by a thousand years plus closer to the original manuscripts and rolled out against what we had, the copies in 900 AD, spot on. Hmm. So I know that's kind of a going on babble, babble, babble. But to me, it's powerful. It shows the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, all these things working and human responsibility at the same time. And Mm just cool stuff. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Um, So uh, as we wrap things up here, uh, Trevor, you work with men. How do you, how does the concept of God's sovereignty over man's response uh, not against, but side by side with man's responsibility. How does this help guys? I think there's several things. And one is, um, again, the idea that I, I don't have to know the answer to every question. And we, we want that. But uh, one of my favorite theological phrases you hear a lot is you have to hold these ideas in tension. Mm-hmm. And that's really what you talked about on site. That's the juxtaposition that we're going to have. God is sovereign, yet we have a will. How do those live together? Well, I think of it in terms of, uh, I always picture, you know how you could get two magnets and you can suspend them and the, the, mm-hmm. the field will make them hold, they won't touch, but they'll hold next to each other. Yeah. And it feels like that to me, that we just have to accept the fact that, um, I think you quoted Isaiah 55, 9 on Sunday, his ways are higher than our own. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the J.D. Greer quote, that, or maybe it was the philosopher, but anyway, a God that could be understood would not be worth worshiping. Yeah, yeah. We have to get to the point that we're okay saying, I just don't know. And the thing that strikes me too, uh, and especially for guys, I mean, we are so accomplishment driven and we measure ourselves by our accomplishments. The idea that it's not all on me is kind of scary. Yeah. And especially in America where we're so individualistic, we're so much about the whole cowboy mythos thing that we are all going to build up. And one of the highest things a guy can say about himself is nobody ever gave me nothing and look what Mm -hmm. I've made myself. Mm -hmm. Well, you didn't. I mean, God did all of it. Yeah. And we have to be ready to admit that, say, hey, by his grace, I've achieved what I have, yeah. and how can I use it for him? That's good, because the women are different. They, 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 they prize knowledge. They, they prize the knowing. Gen- I'm just speaking, generally speaking. Am, am I right on that a little bit? And so how does, how, and if I am, address it. If I'm, if I'm off, let me know. And, and, but start with this. Along the lines of what Trevor is saying, did you appreciate that little 20-second clip I had of John Piper mm-hmm. acknowledging yeah. this is something he didn't have an answer for? Yeah. yeah. Really encouraging, by the way, for all of us to hear. Like, John yeah. Piper doesn't... <laughs> John Calvin admitted he yeah. couldn't quite reconcile this, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had the same thing 10 years ago when I was grappling with all of this. And I had heard a John MacArthur message, and he's like, I just... He said he said the same thing as John Piper, and that that brought brought me some comfort. Um, you asked if women prize knowledge. Well, I, I don't know if I should speak for all women, but 
You I have an opportunity right now. We're recording well, this, so whatever you say, it's going on the record. I apologize for women everywhere. <laughs> um, I don't know if I would say that that's if that's what comes to my mind. I think that we, I think that we tend to prize um, feelings and and mm. control. I think that's kind of what guides our days, and I think that clouds out knowledge sometimes. Okay. That's why I'm so passionate about women women pursuing knowing God through his word, like really knowing him, not the women are drawn to devotionals. We just give me the newest, prettiest devotional that gives me two verses, gives me immediate application that makes me feel really good about myself and going through the day. So I stand corrected. Well, I don't, I mean, I I, I could be... I could probably be staying corrected by a lot of women. Um, knowledge isn't what I think about when I think of women. I think, they, but it, it but it is what they need. You were saying that at the it's very what beginning. They, yeah, I think it's what's lacking. Honestly, okay. I think we need. Yeah, there's so much fluff out there. Give that great. It, I love that quote. Give that great quote from Jen Wilkin you gave just a little bit ago in passing. Your heart can't love what your mind doesn't know. Your heart can't love what your mind doesn't know. What a great thought. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you would say to women along those lines? Read your Bibles and look for who God is, the God of the scripture, not who I am, who I'm supposed to be. This isn't, this isn't the newest, you know, a manual that we avoid the Old Testament because we don't know how to identify with with the Hebrew people back then, you know, we just want, we want Philippians. We want to know how to live lives of joy. <laughs> um, we avoid Romans and God's sovereignty and everything, but it's because we're, we're putting ourselves, we're doing what Eve did. We're looking for, we're looking to be like God. We're not looking to, for him to be exalted. Hmm. So if he's not exalted, then we're, we're not going to pursue him. Hmm. That's good stuff. Trevor, final word from you. Yeah, one verse that just hit me really heavily recently. Um, and I'll back up and I'll say this. I always think of a phrase that back when I used to write about computers and software, they talk about one of these weird features you'll see in a program. It's not a bug, it's a feature. Mm. And I think of that phrase when the fact that we don't understand everything about God, that's not a bug, that's a feature. He mm. did that on purpose. Mm. And I think of Hebrews eleven six, where he said, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Hmm. So no matter how many of the things you do to follow him, if you're not trusting him, you're not pleasing him. Hmm. And I think of that for myself, for guys, for all of us as human beings, that, God, I'm serving you, I'm, I'm ministering to people, I'm serving in your church, I'm giving, I'm doing all the things, but I'm still holding back the fact that I don't know that it's going to work out unless I do it. That's call it what it is. That's sin. Yeah. You are not giving faith. You're not trusting him. And he built, uh, the word of God. He built the universe in such a way that we don't get to know all the answers because then it wouldn't be faith. Yeah. And he demands that. That's really, really good from both of you. And I thank you so much for all of your answers in this give and take. I mean, the, I think the only thing that comes to my mind that we didn't really talk much about is just the adoration that should come out of this. 
as a result. It's okay that we're not God. I, I'm so glad I'm not God. I'm so glad I don't understand everything, but I can trust him, as you say. I can continue to get to know him. It should be a lifelong pursuit in knowing God. I love what you just said, Lindsay. Don't just stay in the in the little, take the little vignettes here that make you feel good, but take read all of scripture. And don't approach the Bible like a theology book. Approach it as a book, as God writing to you, Learn from him. It's a lifelong endeavor. And in the words of John Piper, who was studying that great passage in Romans 9 and on sovereignty and election, and he was just writing a book on it, and uh, he famously stopped in the middle of it and said, he sensed the Lord saying to him into his spirit, I will not, I will be adored and not just analyzed. I will be adored and not just analyzed. So in our pursuit of knowing God, being responsible for our actions, trusting in him, let's adore our one true and living God and his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. God bless you.